You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Hello, and welcome to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. This is Garrett Ashley Mullet, episode 54 of season 3, episode 119 of this broadcast. It is May 16th, two thousand. 21. Today we're going to talk about eminently relatable hobbits. I just watched the first of Peter Jackson's The Hobbit trilogy films, again with my kiddos last night. And it's funny how this happens where I remember having watched movies with my kids, but I don't remember exactly how long ago it's been. To me, it doesn't seem like it's been all that long ago. And I remember movies pretty well. Once I've seen them, even once, I can typically quote certain lines from a movie or recognize certain lines from a movie because I play it back in my head over and over again after I've seen a movie I really like. Even movies that I don't particularly care for, I'll play it back again and again and just try and analyze why it is that I didn't like that, what bothered me about that scene or that dialogue or that portrayal or that acting or that directing or that angle of the camera, whatever it was. And so it's been a while. I just didn't realize how long it had been. But I'm realizing that my youngest kiddos had never seen or at least didn't remember ever having seen the Hobbit films. Now, we all, or at least a coalition of the willing in my household, rewatched the Lord of the Rings trilogy here a few months back. Rewatched The Fellowship of the Ring, The Two Towers, and The Return of the King. The Return of the King is my favorite personally, but we rewatched those, and my older boys especially were all about it. Enoch and Evelyn, surprisingly, were all about it. Daniel wasn't so sure he wanted to watch that. It's a little bit too intense. He's a little bit more tender-hearted. He likes to keep things light and funny and, you know, not tense, not scary. So he usually opts out, but Evelyn, surprisingly, opts in. Enoch, typically, surprisingly, opts in. And so just to give all of you a reminder in case you've forgotten, if you're my age and it seems like it was just a couple of years ago, Realize that The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, was released, Peter Jackson's version anyways, was released in 2001. We're talking about 20 years ago. 20 years ago is when Fellowship of the Ring came out in theaters. The next year, 2002, is when The Two Towers came out. 2003 is when The Return of the King came out. And then... A number of years passed, and then 2012, we get The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey. 2013, The Desolation of Smaug, the second in The Hobbit trilogy, came out. That's the way you have to pronounce it, by the way, Smaug. I didn't know that until I watched Peter Jackson's trilogy. Uh, Anyway, Battle of the Five Armies, 2014, so it was one a year from 2012, 2013, 2014, also 2001, 
2002-2003, which is surprising and impressive in my opinion, coming out with big grand movies like that one a year. You have to have your ducks in a row, I suppose, and have people committed for a three-year venture like that. You're in it for the long haul. Three years in hindsight, after 20 years, doesn't seem like all that long, but I remember when Fellowship of the Ring came out in theaters. It was like, this is phenomenal. This was fantastic. This is excellent. This is wonderful. I have to wait a whole year for the next one. What? That's a long time. Well, in hindsight, it's not all that long. But when you're, how old was I? In 2001, I was born 1986. I was 14 or 15 years old. So at 14 or 15 years old, which is about the age that my oldest son is, he's almost 14, at that age, a year was a long, long time. I couldn't imagine waiting a year for the next one, but of course I did. And before I was out of high school, all of the three trilogy, Lord of the Rings trilogy books had been made into movies. And it's funny how impactful that was. I don't know that people who are older that maybe grew up with the books, like my mother's cousin, I think his name was Brian. I'm sorry. I'm sure he doesn't listen to this broadcast, but I think his name was Brian. Uh, maybe it was Doug. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was Doug. I'm Okay. Yep. No, it was Doug. I don't know where I got Brian from. Just pick a random name. Your name is Brian now. I rename you. Like Jesus calling disciples, you shall no longer be called Simon. You shall be called Peter, for on this rock I will build my church. Imagine going around doing that. I, I, I know it's not the reason why Jesus was renaming people, but he does it in the Old Testament too, where he wrestles with Jacob. And after he wrestles with Jacob, he says, your name is no longer Jacob. Now it's Israel. So... Imagine if I were in his position, if I were in Jesus' shoes, it would not be because it is all that profound. It would be just because I forget your name. I forget your name, but Brian is a rememberable name, a memorable name. We're going to just call you Brian from now on because I can remember that. Doug, for some reason, doesn't stick. So, sorry, guy. Your parents named you wrong. Um, anyway. I remember having this conversation with my mom's cousin, Doug, in Levittown, New York, after the first Peter Jackson film had come out, and that would have put it, I guess, between 2001 and 2002, uh, possibly summer of 2002, that's probable, uh, but he said he didn't want to watch the movies, because he grew up, when he was a kid, reading the books, he read The Lord of the Rings. And loved it. And it was very important, very dear to him. And he was just sure that the movies would not be faithful to the books. And that was going to ruin things. And so he didn't want to watch the movies and be angry. He would just maybe reread the books. That was not so for me. I watched the movies first and then I read the books. And if anything, it was almost the reverse where it's like, I've seen the movies now and I love the movies. And should I read the books? Or am I going to be angry that Tolkien got it wrong? Uh, Jackson chooses a little creative license here and there to opt out on certain elements of Tolkien's story, like Tom Bombadil, for instance, gets completely left by the wayside. But meanwhile, 
you could make a whole trilogy out of The Hobbit. Why not? Why not make a whole trilogy out of that? And then add Evangeline Lilly into the cast of characters. Let's make a she-elf here because we want to empower our young girls and young women. We want them to be interested in watching these movies. It doesn't matter if Tolkien had this elf warrior S in his books. We're going to put her in and make her a prominent character and make this love story out of her relationship with one of the dwarves who doesn't have quite so much facial hair. He's just, I guess, a young dwarf. That's what it must be. But this young dwarf and the elf warrioress, uh, they have a little bit of a mutual attraction. And so that's going to become a thing, even though it wasn't in the books. The book, one book, actually. So you're already way off to make this into a trilogy. But to be fair, to be fair to Peter Jackson, it worked. It was fine. I don't mind. I say the more the merrier when it comes to Lord of the Rings movies. I'm not going to be upset if you turn this into three movies. And so he did. He did. He got us. And uh, that's that. But I'm watching this Hobbit movie, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey with my kiddos last night. And Daniel, predictably, opted out. And that's fine. That's all right. He wanted to do something else. Enoch, at a certain point, when uh, Radagast the Brown is trying to figure out what's going on in the forest, that these creatures are getting sick and dying, and the plants are oozing some kind of corrupt slime of some sort. What is, what is going on? Where is this coming from? It's almost like it's witchcraft. Oh, well, it is witchcraft. This is evil, dark magic at work here. He's trying to figure out what's going on, and at a certain point, these giant spiders start climbing all over his house and he's inside and the camera angles are all inside and you just see the shadow of spider legs walking up the window and trying to get on top and trying to get inside the house because apparently they're going to eat some wizard this afternoon and that was just a little bit too much that was over the edge for Enoch and we didn't get him back he was out after that went on downstairs to the basement with Daniel and they too hung out and watched something a little lighter. But the rest of the kiddos, they stuck around. We had homemade pizza because that's what we try to do on Saturday nights. Is we try to have homemade pizza. Lauren makes some really delicious homemade pizza. And we try to watch a movie. And it doesn't always work out because sometimes life has other plans. God has other plans for our weekend. Sometimes there's just other stuff going on. We have people coming through. We have things happening. And we have to skip out on movie night or move our pizza night, pizza, homemade pizza meal uh, to some other day on the weekend. But it makes just for kind of a nice weekly tradition, a little something, a little something special that we enjoy. The kids enjoy it. Lauren enjoys it. It gives her a little bit of peace and quiet, a little bit of a rest. If I take the kids off to the side and say, hey, guys, why don't we watch a movie? I like watching movies. Lauren doesn't usually like watching the same movies that I like watching. And so if the kids want to watch these movies with me and she gets to do some sewing or catch up on some homeschool planning or something like that without interruption, with a little bit of peace and quiet, everybody wins. 
But we're watching The Hobbit, and I, I don't know. I, I love remembering again things that have not been fresh in my memory. And now that I realize we're talking about 2011 through 13, that's eight years ago at the most recent. And we watched each of these Hobbit movies when they very first came out. I remember that. Uh, as soon as they were on DVD, we picked them up. So maybe 2014 at the most recent. But yeah, that would have been before Evelyn was born. That would have been before Enoch and John were born. We watch these movies, me and the boys, and the oldest ones probably remember them vaguely. But even for them, Josiah was about the age or younger than Evelyn is. So he probably didn't remember them all that well. Now he has since read the books, and so it was enjoyable. It was fun to be able to go through the movie again. But I was just struck as I'm remembering the story that you have in Bilbo Baggins, this character that likes his armchair, he likes his pantry, he likes his books, he likes smoking his pipe in his house, in his quiet little house, in the peaceful shire where things don't happen, where we just go along and everybody gets along. And when they don't get along, it's for trivial things. Like, I don't approve of how much of a hurry that guy is in over there. And I'm going to chat about it with our neighbors. Things like that are the disruptions most common. Not trolls coming down out of the mountains and trying to eat your horses and then trying to eat you when you try to stop them from eating your horses. Not falling into deep, dark caves full of trolls and troll kings, or uh, goblins and goblin kings, rather. Not big, giant orcs with one arm riding on wolf-like creatures called wargs, trying to get you, trying to separate your head from your shoulders. That's not the kind of stuff that happens in the Shire. In the Shire, we smoke our pipe, and we read our books, and we eat our cheese, we drink our brandy and we watch the world go by because we're not really a direct part of the world. We're off to the side. We are insulated, just like the Hobbit home is built into the side of a grassy knoll. We are insulated from what happens in the rest of Middle Earth. So Gandalf comes to Bilbo in the very beginning of the movie. And of course you have to watch these in the extended version. You can't watch the theatrical version. That's just a rule. If you watch the theatrical version, you are accepting your shorter attention span. And you should not accept it. You should push your attention span. You should get the extended edition. Because what's better than two hours of a Hobbit movie is three hours of a Hobbit movie, obviously. That's 50% better. But Gandalf comes to Bilbo at his house and strikes up a conversation and gets good morning Good morning. Mm. 
What do you mean about good morning? Do you mean that this is a good morning, whether I like it or not? Are you wishing me a good morning? Are you saying this is a morning to be good in? What are you saying when you say good morning? Well, all, all of the above, I suppose. So then Gandalf's trying to draw him into a conversation. He's trying to get his curiosity provoked, trying to get him off of dead center. And the more he tries at the very outset, the more Bilbo is inclined to dig in his heels and send Gandalf packing and go back to reading his mail, reading his books, and smoking his pipe. And so Gandalf, God love him, doesn't take that. He doesn't accept that. He doesn't leave well enough alone. He ends up etching a little rune, a little symbol onto Bilbo's door. His front door now has a little marking after they part ways, after Bilbo rather rudely goes back into his house to say, I'm done with this conversation. No, I don't want any adventures. We don't do adventures here. If you want somebody for an adventure, try over the water. Try around the hill. Try somewhere else. Take that talk elsewhere because we don't do adventure here. I live my quiet little life and nobody bothers me. And that's just the way I like it. But again, Gandalf doesn't accept that, doesn't take that no for granted. He etches a little marking on Bilbo's door. And that evening, Bilbo is inundated with smelly, loud, boisterous, rambunctious dwarves. They all come out of seemingly nowhere and they eat all of his food and they make a mess. And it's surprising how quickly they clean up after themselves, but they almost do it just at a certain point to mess with Bilbo because he's showing himself to be rather particular, rather prim, rather finicky. They almost lean into it, and they do this at Rivendell as well, they almost lean into it just to rub his nose in the fact that they don't have to cater to his elevated sense of propriety. They're going to sing and they're going to belch and they're going to throw things and they're going to make him very nervous. And so they do. And then they come to the matter at hand, which is that King Thorin Oakenshield, son of Thrain, shows up late. He lost his way. He missed the house. Maybe that was just an excuse because he was doing some soul searching, trying to figure out what is it he's going to say to this company of dwarves from Erebor. What is it that he's going to tell them? What is it that they're going to do in trying to retake their mountain home from the dragon Smaug? He shows up late any way you slice it. He's kind of a moody, withdrawn character. And then Bilbo gets the explanation for why all these dwarves have shown up at his house. For one, because Gandalf chose Bilbo's house for their meeting place. But for two, because Gandalf is persuaded that this will be good for Bilbo. It would be very good for Bilbo to get out of his house and stop being so boring, so useless, so complacent, so stale. You need to get out of here and go on an adventure. You won't come back the same. I can't guarantee you'll come back at all, but if you come back, you won't come back the same. 
At first, Bilbo is adamant. No, I'm not going. I'm not doing it. You've got me confused for somebody else. I am not a burglar. I am not who you think I am. I can't do this. I'm sorry. I just can't. And Bilbo actually leans into the critical remarks from members of the Dwarven party where they say, ah, no, that's just, he's not the guy. He's never fought. He doesn't know how to handle a weapon. He's completely unsuitable for this task. And Bilbo's just nodding like, yeah, he's right. He's absolutely right. Listen to that guy. Gandalf gets all flustered, blows up a little bit, makes himself larger than life to intimidate everybody. And successfully, I might add, if I say Bilbo is up for it, he's up for it. Is that clear? <laughs> I say Bilbo is up for it. Period. End of discussion. That's it. Well, that scene, that evening, him being faced with a contract to sign, which is almost like a release of liability for anything that might happen to him if he gets killed, maimed, dismembered, incinerated, eaten by a dragon, whatever, they will not be held responsible. King Thorin, Thorin Oakenshield, will not be held responsible. He faints as he's reading this list of things that might happen to him. And certain members of the Dwarven party actually kind of rub it in as he's reading these things out loud. He's getting increasingly concerned. They're elaborating what might happen to him. And he faints. He just passes out, falls over, says that he needs some time. He needs some time to think about this. Well, you've had enough time, Gandalf says. You need to make a decision here. Nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not going. Well, they're all disappointed. Maybe some of them are relieved. Gandalf is obviously disappointed. Thorin, meanwhile, you get cutaways to him listening, not looking. He doesn't want to look like he's listening, but he is listening. He's paying attention. He's studying what's going on, trying to turn everything over in his head to figure out what to make of it, what he can make of it. And everybody goes to bed, and the next scene, it's the morning. Bilbo wakes up. The house is quiet. Where is everybody? Hello? The house is clean. It's clean, quiet, just like they had never been there. The dwarves, Gandalf, no sign. Was he dreaming? That's what my daughter Evelyn asked. Was he dreaming? No, no, he wasn't dreaming. Huh, where did they go? Well, then the next thing you know, Bilbo has a pack on, and he's got that contract in his hand, and he's running to catch up because the house is too quiet, because he changed his mind. He's up for it after all, and apparently, after having slept on it, he doesn't want to miss out. He doesn't want to look back with regret in his old age and wonder what might have been. The only thing worse than a dangerous adventure is missing out on a dangerous adventure. So he goes, and I won't spoil the movies or the books. You should read and watch The Hobbit. But I just think it's funny that The Hobbits are so relatable. They're relatable 
in The Lord of the Rings, when it's Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, and they're relatable in The Hobbit when it's Bilbo. Hobbits are resilient folk, everybody says, the wisest in Middle-earth say. The middling folks, your lower-level warriors, they don't understand the true value and worth of hobbits. They always, initially, write them off as not serious, as small, as naive, as weak, as maybe even cowardly, as silly. And then, don't you know it, as the story unfolds, they find their courage, and once they find their courage and they are on board, there's no changing their mind. There's no dissuading them. They're in it for the long haul. And it's funny how they always seem to pop up at just the right time. They play this pivotal role like the hinge Big, heavy doors, very fine. But if you don't have hinges for it to open and shut on, it doesn't do a lot of good, whether it's stuck in the wall or it's laying against the wall beside the opening. You need hinges. And the hobbits end up being the hinges of sorts that keep everything together, keep everything opening and closing as it needs to. They pass unnoticed because they don't make all of the noise and fuss, because they don't seem quite as formidable as other more warlike, stout, impressive-looking characters. The dwarves have a bit more bulk on them, and a bit more height and stature, and they're outfitted for war and for battle, but they're loud, and they're brash, and they brag, and they boast too much, and they're too irritable, too quick to take offense. The elves are graceful, and wise, and skillful. There's nothing that they put their hands to that they are not masters at. The only thing that takes out an elf is being overwhelmed. But the elves are arrogant. The elves think too highly of themselves. They look down their nose at everyone else in Middle-earth. Men have strength, stature, heart, but men, too, have this kind of immaturity to where they get embroiled very quickly in the politics and the vying for power with dwarves and with elves. They get caught up too much in the ambition of themselves and others. Meanwhile, the hobbits seem to just kind of float along under the radar they're not arrogant, they're humble. They don't have ambition to rule, they just want to help. They're not easily offended. In fact, they're very much more often being put down, being mocked, being marginalized, being underestimated, but coming back again and again, surprisingly, cropping up where you might least expect them to be, surviving things you would not believe they could survive being such little folks. For loving their quiet shire, they have a remarkable ability to get through swamps and forests and mountains 
and caves full of the darkest things in Middle Earth. In no small part because they're trying to get back to that Shire. Once they've left it, they want to get what they need to get done, done, so they can go home. They have something they're fighting for. And in the Lord of the Rings trilogy, what eventually animates them and energizes them is that they realize if something isn't done about Sauron and the One Ring, it's only a matter of time before the orcs and the dark forces of the Dark Lord come to their Shire and destroy it. And the people of the Shire will have no ability to stand up against it. It's just a matter of time. If they don't take the battle to Sauron, if they don't take the fight to Mordor, it's just a matter of time before it's going to come to the Shire. So they do what they must, even though they know when they come back from this, they're never going to be quite welcome again. They're never going to quite be embraced as belonging again. They're always going to be treated as a little bit odd once they've left and come back. But it is what it is now. There's no changing that now. There's only moving forward. There's only taking the next step. There's only dealing with this here now so that we can get home again. Even though home will never be the same for me, it'll at least be there and not be destroyed under the boot of a tyrant, under the boot of a dark lord. Sauron has no legitimate claim to Middle-earth. He's evil. He's corrupt. He corrupts everything he gets his hands on. He's a terrorist. He's a manipulator. He's a schemer. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He likes to entrap people with their own power and ambition and their desire for power. That's how he works. And the reason why the hobbits are such an effective foil for Sauron is because they're not motivated by a love for power and a love for wealth. They're not tempted the way that those other fairer, stronger, more stout, more ambitious races of Middle-earth are. They're not tempted by vanity. They're not drawn to try and struggle for the rulership of Middle-earth. They just want to go home. They just want to get back to their fireplace and their books and their pipe-smoking and their cheese. And I think that's wonderful. I think that's fantastic. I think Tolkien was a genius. And that's why his story has staying power. So, it was a little bit scary for my younger kids. Lauren was amused walking into the room every now and then to check on how we were doing and when the movie was going to be over because, of course, it's the extended edition. As I said, you have to watch the extended edition. She walks in. And she can see the looks on all of the kids' faces. And especially at tense parts in the story, Evelyn has this wide-eyed horror written on her face. Something surprising, shocking, jolting happens. And all the kids jump just a little bit. And Lauren and I laugh or smile. And after the movie was over, which was about 1030 after we got everybody to bed and went to bed ourselves, Lauren told me, I'm glad you watched the movie with them. 
and I was a little bit nervous myself because we started it lighter than we had planned to. The neighbors behind us were in our front yard playing with our kiddos, and that doesn't happen often. So then our kids were just like, oh, we kind of want to play with them. Do we have to watch a movie tonight? We're going to watch a movie tonight, guys. You can play with them tomorrow. Hmm. What are we going to watch? Mm, how about a documentary on math? No, I don't want to watch that. I was kidding, of course. We're going to watch The Hobbit. I got a, Josiah was on board immediately. I got a affirmation from him. Yeah, let's watch The Hobbit. No, I don't want to watch The Hobbit. No, can we watch something else? Well, there's always that documentary on math. No, I don't want to watch that. Okay, well, then we're watching The Hobbit. <clears throat> I felt bad. I felt apologetic to Lauren that it was so late by the time the movie was over. And she said, no, I think it's good. I think it's good that you did that. I'm glad that you watch movies with the kids and they get an opportunity to see somebody being brave even though they're scared. Because you see that too. The hobbits are obviously in over their heads, intimidated. They think through the process of working up the courage to do what is required of them out loud and on their faces because they're not afraid of being thought cowards. In fact, among their own people, they're thought reckless for even considering it. Bilbo's initial reaction to Gandalf is what a good hobbit should respond like. Take those adventures somewhere else. Whatever you're selling, why don't you go over the water around the bend in the road, try somewhere else, sell it to somebody else. But it's good for kids to be exposed to, in reasonable quantities, something scary. How else do you develop courage? It's good for them to see good versus evil where good is not quite so easy. It's not going to necessarily be an easy road for the person that does good in real life. In fact, there's going to be persecution. There's going to be trials of many kinds. If you are a Christian, there's going to be persecution. You're going to be hated by many people for Christ's sake. The trick will be to do what God has called us to anyways. The trick is to put your neck on the line anyways. And just like a hobbit coming back to his beautiful home in the Shire to smoke his pipe and to read his books and to sit by the fire and eat his bread and cheese and soup, live a quiet life, minding his own business, working with his hands, as Thessalonians says. Just like that's his goal at the end of the day, our goal is a peaceable eternity where we live at peace with God and we live at peace with his people who are called by his name, whose names are written in the book of life. But before we get to that, God's got work for us to do. He's got an adventure for us to live out. He's got Mordor for us to hike through, perhaps. He's got Moria for us to travel through, possibly. He's got various characters with their own agendas to interact with and for us to stay true to our calling regardless of. He's got people for us to encourage, like the hobbits inadvertently do encourage others. You know, there's, 
the scene at the tail end of The Hobbit, not to give anything away, but they make a razor-thin escape from what seems to be their demise. And the dwarves and Gandalf and Bilbo, once they're out of it and they're in the clear again, have this little reconnecting of their values, a realignment, recalibrating. How's everybody doing? You guys okay? Physically okay? Morally okay? We all still on board? And Thorin ends up admitting he should never have doubted Bilbo. He's never been so wrong about somebody as he was when he first judged Bilbo as not being up for the challenge. And so then, obviously, the unspoken question is why, right? Why did you come back? Why didn't you just go back to Rivendell where Elrond told you you were welcome? Why didn't you go back to the Shire where you're from? We have not treated you like you're one of us. We've treated you like you're a burden and you're annoying and you don't belong here. Why did you come back? Why are you still here? And Bilbo says, you're right. I miss my home. I miss my pipe. I miss my food. I miss my fire. I miss my quiet little life. I miss the Shire. I miss Bag End. That's where I belong. I don't belong here. I don't belong out in the wilderness doing what I'm doing right now. That's where I belong. But I'm here because I realized you don't have a home. Yours was taken from you. And I'm going to help you get it back because I'm realizing just how much my home is important to me and how you might be feeling with having lost your home. I'm realizing just how painful that is and how heartbreaking that is. And I'm going to help you if at all it's in my power to help you get your home back. And the various dwarves in the party, you can see them just very moved by what it is that Bilbo has just said. And Gandalf, for one, gets this look on his face. And Ian McKellen, regardless of his private life choices, lifestyle, which I can't affirm, he's a great actor. He did a fantastic job with playing Gandalf. He did a fantastic job playing Magneto in the X-Men series. But Gandalf gets this look on his face, very well acted by Ian McKellen which is surprise and delight and confirmation that, yes, Bilbo is supposed to be here because that was exactly what the whole party needed to hear right now. That's what Thorin needed to hear right now. That's what the rest of these guys needed to hear right now because they're discouraged and they need to keep their spirits up because if they don't keep their spirits up, they're never going to succeed. And Gandalf knows that getting Smaug out of Erebor is not just about smog. That's all the dwarves are thinking about. That's all anybody else is thinking about is if we get smog reckoned with, if he's killed, or if he's all stirred up again and goes burning and pillaging the thatched roof cottages in the countryside, that's all anybody else is thinking about on the forefront. Gandalf is thinking big picture. He's thinking macro. He's thinking strategic. He's thinking that Sauron is trying to make a comeback and will make a comeback at some point. And if Sauron has 
all of the dwarf rings, if Sauron has the dragon Smaug as an ally when he makes his comeback, when he makes his play to regain Middle-earth, that's bad news for the forces of good. So as small of a chance as it might be to bring this party of dwarves and this hobbit into Erebor and to kill the dragon, to regain this mountain home for Thorin and his people, as long of a shot as it might be, we just have to take that chance. We got to try. And Bilbo is there not just to kill, to fight, to carry things. No, he's there because he changes the dynamic of the party in a way that it needs to be changed. He brings something to the table that you can't get anywhere else. He has a certain quality, a characteristic that by his involvement, everybody else now benefits from. And that also is beautiful. And it's such a beautiful picture of the way families should work, the way the church should operate and think of itself. Such a beautiful picture. And I think it's fantastic. Scary images or no scary images. Actually, I think especially with scary images, it's fantastic because otherwise there's no cost. There's only benefit and that's not real. I think that watching The Hobbit, watching The Lord of the Rings for kids, maybe especially when it's scary, helps to draw them out of the shire of their childhood a little bit because adulthood is not going to be like the Shire, probably. Not in a fallen creation, not in a fallen world. So, best to get them thinking, get their wheels turning, and taking these things seriously to a little extent, at least, now. That's all I've got. Thank you for bearing with me. I went longer than expected talking about The Hobbit, but you can tell I enjoy it, I like it, I love it. If you've never watched it, I can't imagine... You have been deprived. You have not lived. You need to watch The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. If you've got kiddos, you should watch The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit with your kiddos. You should read the books. Read the books to your kids, with your kids. Have your kids read the books. But that's all I got for this episode. As always, thanks for listening. Till next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.